as always, my privilege to stand here today and uh, share a few thoughts, hopefully, from the Lord for you and for me. Uh, you know, I was just uh, as Connie was mentioning, the, the, the father-daughter ball again, I had this one memory <coughs> of the ball where it was the end of the ball, you know, and these little girls, they come in there just so ecstatic and charged up. It's young and old alike, but, you know, the little ones are just all charged up for this thing. And by the end of it, they're pretty cooked, you know. They're just, they're just kind of, <coughs> as are all the workers and everything, right? So there was this uh, one year where it was the end. It was the last song that was going to be played for fathers and daughters to get to dance. And this one dad stepped out onto the dance floor. He was all alone. And he had an infant little daughter who was fast asleep. And, it just, and, and he, just, he just sat there and he just danced with her all by himself. And, and I remember <clears throat> because, you know, we think that this is for the daughters, but as much for the fathers Amen. as it was for the daughters. And I just could see the heart of God the Father there that day, just holding her and just being there with her as provider, protector, and enjoying. You know, God enjoys us. He just enjoys us. I don't know, uh, sounds like I got a little feedback or something there. I'm not sure where that is. If you can find it, I would appreciate it a ton. Thank you. Hello? Thank you. So, <clears throat> you know, we're living in a really amazing time, aren't we? Yes, a lot of things happening. It's a very sober time. And there's a lot of interesting things to navigate that are in front of us. And, you know, it was already mentioned here about it being Sanctity of Life Sunday as a church. Uh, we believe as Christians it is an issue that is uh, so, so important. In heaven's eyes, you know, Jesus was emphatic when he said, it's better that a millstone were tied around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than you harm one of these little ones. Thank God for the blood that forgives for those who've ended up in a situation and, and you know, acted in a, an appropriate way there with a pregnancy. God has mercy and God has grace. But let me tell you, as a culture and as a people, when we have made room for this stuff, 55 million. It's inconceivable. The innocent lives that have passed on and uh, the stain that that has brought on this land. Well, we're living in a time right now where that can turn. There's some stuff in the balance for us that can turn. And I was thinking about that. And uh, what happens if Roe versus Wade is overturned in our land? Well, then what happens is babies get born. And somebody's got to birth them. Somebody has to carry them to term. And then somebody needs to raise them. Somebody needs to take responsibility for them. And I was pondering the idea that in this time, this very pivotal, important time in history, right now in this nation particularly, but I believe in the world, that not only is God moving on our behalf, but He's calling us to responsibility. Amen. He's calling us to responsibility. He's calling us to be a part of birthing something again. I want to talk today about this nation and beyond, but you've got to give me a little leeway here today because I believe that we have a certain responsibility as the church in this country to see this nation born again. Yes. Talk about that, being born again. This country needs a rebirth. Yes. 
This country needs a spiritual birth awakening to occur. And so we're going to dive down a little bit into that today. Father, thank you for help here this morning. The spirit of grace. Lord, that you would pour grace into my mouth today. That I might speak with the tongue of the learned. That I might bring a word in season. That I might have your words for us all here today, Lord. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence helping us along the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. If you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to start off in the book of Isaiah. Still got some kind of uh, subwoofer pushback, it sounds like, coming out of there. Thank you. Isaiah 66 and verse 6 is where we're going to begin. It's a very interesting chapter in the book of Isaiah. Let me read Isaiah beginning Isaiah 66 and verse 6. A voice of noise from the city. A voice from the temple. A voice of the Lord that renders recompense to his enemies. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Who has heard of such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth? Says the Lord. Shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb? Says your God. Now this passage, uh, passage of scripture is really pivotal. It's certainly historic. Many would attach this particular passage you know, to the church being born, actually being born, because Paul picks up on some of these very themes in his writings to, uh, in the New Testament. But also, clearly, I believe, it's certainly a picture of what happened when Israel was born as a nation. Shall a nation be born in a day? And here it was, 1948, boom, Israel, the nation, was reconstituted and born, and born in a day. And so many would point it to there. But what we're going to look at today is not so much those historical accounts, but about the idea of a nation being born again. Yeah. Born again, a rebirth. Just like you and I can have a rebirth, right? That's what being born again is all about. So a nation can have a rebirth. And I'm telling you, I believe this by the Spirit of God today, that I'm speaking prophetically to us today. God is getting ready to birth this nation again. And he's looking for people who will travail in birth again until this nation becomes what she was intended to be from the beginning. By the way, this is not a political message. This isn't. This is a Bible message. I actually open your Bibles today with me. That's where we're going to come out of here. And I believe by the Spirit of God, God's going to give us some help to discern our role in the upcoming months and years that are in front of us. So in this account we just read, it's really a fascinating one. It's a miraculous uh, account. It says, you know, before Zion travailed, she brought forth, right? Before she went into her labor pain, she, 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 she brought forth. Who has heard of such a thing? You know, it's, it's like, it's, it's amazing. How, how can this happen? And then it goes on to say, as soon as she travailed, she brought forth. So the idea is 
There was a little pain, but not much. It was a miraculous birth is the idea. It's like as soon as it came time to deliver, there was very little pain for her. Boom, bang, she was there. When it happened, it happened, okay? And so it's a miraculous account. And it's interesting to me because God is moving supernaturally and miraculously right now in our generation, but he's looking for a people who will participate in the birth process. And just because there's a little pain doesn't mean there's not some pain and it doesn't require some effort. And we have to be very careful right now because, you know, you could sit back and say, oh, thank God, you know, uh, for the good things that God has done for us and so on, and then just kind of let go of something that's yet to happen. And I'm telling you, it's not over. There's stuff happening right in our midst right now. And the church, you and me, and those who believe have a very important role in this childbearing of a nation, this birthing of a nation. You know, pain and childbearing. Pain and childbearing. Do you know it existed prior to sin? Pain existed prior to sin. I'm going off what the scripture says. Now, you might see it differently. Maybe you've got a different verse to show me otherwise. But as far as I read it, there it is. He says your pains will be multiplied or increased. You can't multiply or increase something that's not currently there. There was something there. Some, you know, and I, and I, I think, that, you know, the reason for that is you, when, when you've had to endure a little something, you appreciate it more, you know? It's like Jesus talking about when a child is born, then the mother goes, whoo, it's over. Hey, you know, can I get an amen from the, from the mama section? <laughs> is there an amen from the mama section? But there, there, was some, there was some initial discomfort in the process of birthing children. In my understanding of the scripture, I'll read it to you, Genesis 3 and 16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Multiply it. You can't multiply. Zero time, multiplied by zero is zero. There was something to multiply there. There was something to increase. But it wasn't much. And to me, that's a beautiful picture of what's happening in Isaiah. Before she brings forth, right? Before she travails, she brings forth. Right? As soon as she starts, then she has the baby. It's like there was just grace. There was something there to see it happen the way God intended for it to happen. And it wasn't like this terrible, you know, writhing in pain, you know, kind of thing. It was, it was something that was grace-filled with some purpose that I don't profess to understand all of by any means. I just know there was something there that God multiplied. And I say that because there are pains that are necessary and pains that are unnecessary. I tell people all the time, choose your pain. Choose your pain. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? I have many times people come to me in situations, very difficult situations, and no matter which way they look, there's pain. If they go left and they make a tough choice here, then it's going to be really hard because they don't want to hurt this person. They don't want to, you know, uh, they don't want this person to think they don't love them anymore, whatever. But if they go this way, there's also pain here, you know, and you can always find it. And no matter which way you go, please listen to me today. There's counsel in this word for you today. Choose your pain. One pain will lead to life. One tends to lead to death. One leads to life. One leads to death. You know, I've had 
situations. I'll just give you as an example where a single parent raising a child, the child is, is, is totally dishonoring and disrespecting them, foul language, abusing them, not paying attention to any uh, reasonable policies in the house and whatever. And the parent says, well, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, I'll tell you what to do. Now I'm talking about a child that's of age. I say, you need to put them out. Pastor Rob, I thought you were just a sweet, easygoing guy. Well, I'm obviously, there's a lot of factors behind this comment I'm making. I have to make sure it's you know, right there. But, but many times, that's the deal. You need to put them out. You need to put them out. Well, the thought of that is, I, I can't bear. I can't bear the pain of that. The idea of not knowing where they are or, or what's going to happen if I'm not there. Now listen, this isn't always the case, so please, you know, I'm just giving you an example. I say, okay, well, there's the pain of, of that, having to trust God and having to draw a boundary. That's painful. Or, let's look at the other pain. The pain is what you're dealing with day in and day out, having them cuss at you, eat your groceries, come in whenever they want to, despising your authority. And think of the pain of that. You've got pain in both directions. Now choose your pain. You see, you're not going to get away from pain here. You've got to birth something. You've got to move through something. Choose your pain. My recommendation is, from my own experience, that we take the pain that leads to life. If I'm going to have to have a little pain, may it bring me to life. May it have a hope attached to it. May it have something on the other side that offers hope. And I can tell you, more often than not, in that situation, when people choose their pain wisely... I don't know why I'm using this example. Maybe there's somebody in the room that needs it today. But when you choose your pain wisely, I've seen this over and over again. A line of respect is drawn, and those very children end up, more often than not, coming back around with respect in their heart, and life gets better for everyone. It's a good word. It's a sound word. You, might, you don't have to agree with me. You can use it this principle in another area of your life if you so choose, but I'm telling you, you're going to have to choose your pain. So, when it comes to birthing a nation, seeing a nation born again, there will be some pain involved. There will be. We need to choose how and which area we're going to labor in, in which arena we're going to participate in and I believe as a church, the church, part of the big C here in the world, we have a very specific assignment when it comes to these things. Very specific from the Lord. By the way, you can be spared, women, church, you can be spared in childbearing. Spared. Now that doesn't mean, again, I don't think painless. It just means back to what Eve had, whatever that looked like. Okay, let me read it to you. 1 Timothy 2 and 15, Paul speaking, he says, Notwithstanding, talking about women who are in the Lord, she shall be saved in childbearing if, say if with me, if, if they continue in faith, in charity or love, and holiness with sobriety. He's saying basically the way you live your life and you conduct yourself can affect your childbirthing experience. Now, I believe that's a very actual, very practical. My wife has a beautiful testimony of this very thing in her own life. But I believe it's, it's very real and very practical. At the same time, 
I, I believe it's a principle, right? That how we conduct ourselves can decide or determine the, the amount of pain that you go through or don't go through as a culture. The church, come on. If we, the church, will continue in faith and in love and in holiness and sobriety, we can be spared some of the unnecessary pains of this nation's birth again. If the church decides not to, come on, I'm talking about if the church is all self-consumed and just thinking about themselves and all we want for ourselves and so on. Oh, that's good news for us because now we can prosper and be prosperous and, and enjoy life and whatever. And we miss our assignment in the earth. I believe there's a lot of added pain in front of us. Added pain. To travail in birth. Again, the Apostle Paul writing to the Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth. Some translations say, of whom I travail in birth again. Until, here it is, Christ be formed or is formed in you. Do you know what our mission is, I'm convinced, as a part of the church? We, like Paul, are called on to travail in birth again to this end that Christ be formed in this nation. That's our mandate. That's our mandate is to travail in birth again until Christ be formed. You know, the real rebirth of this nation is not an economic thing so much. Although there's a lot of emphasis and thank God you know, for efforts that all have made along the way to try to turn our economy so that we can enjoy the prosperity and the blessings this nation has enjoyed since its inception, really. I mean, it's had its hard times, but boy, overall, God has blessed this land over and over again. And among the nations of the earth, we are very blessed, no question about it. All you got to do is go outside of our borders for a little while and see. We're a very blessed nation. But you know what we're talking about here has got to be beyond just a, an economic uh, you know, uh, turnaround and infrastructures and better roads and better bridges. I'm telling you, if that's all it is, we the church have not done our part in helping birth this nation again. We haven't. There's something spiritual that has to happen. It's a spiritual awakening God is looking for in this land. Amen. We know a familiar passage, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, John 3. He tells him, you got to be born again, man. You must be born again. And Nicodemus says, well, how is that possible? Does a man enter his mother's womb again? Can he? And Jesus is like, oh, man, I got a lot of work here. I got a lot of work to do, man. And he starts saying, he says, you know, listen, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, right? That which is born of the spirit is spirit. I'm talking about a birth that's spiritual. That's basically what Jesus said. And Nicodemus is like, how is that going to happen? And then Jesus points to his cross, right? Let me tell you, the preaching of the cross has to come back to our pulpits and to our churches and to the, the kingdom of God again. The preaching of the cross. It is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the preaching of the cross. It is the power of God power a born again again nation 
That's where we're standing. So we started off by reading Isaiah, didn't we? This miraculous birth that happens. And I started intentionally in verse 6 of that chapter because it's the precursor to those verses we read about the birthing process, but it's essential. And we're going to zero here for a second because I believe there's some important information. Isaiah 66 and then verse 6. Let me read the verse again to you. It says, A voice of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of the Lord that renders recompense to his enemies. It's an interesting word, a voice of noise. You know what this word noise means in the Hebrew language? The voice of noise. It means a voice of turmoil or destruction. Now hear this. A voice of turmoil and destruction coming from the city. I tell you, I, I, I don't know about you, but just flip the news on. Here we are, day two, you know, of a new president. And what do we see? Turmoil. Brewing. And it is just, I'm just telling you, hear this now, it is just the beginning of some birth pains going on in this country right now turmoil destruction even is in this word a voice of turmoil and destruction coming from the city now the next line is important a voice not a voice of turmoil listen to this a voice from the temple now there's these gosh i got to slow it down just for a second we got this first voice this first noise coming from the culture turmoil destruction and then we have a response coming from the temple or from the house of God, from the people of God. And it doesn't have the word turmoil or noise attached to it. It's supposed to be a voice that's bringing clarity to a troubled world. You know, all you got to do is read Matthew 24. Jesus giving the signs of the end of the age and of his coming. And he lists all these terrible things. Wars, rumors of wars. Famine, you know, persecution, uh, cold-heartedness in people, all this list of terrible stuff happening. And it says that these are the beginning of sorrows. These are the beginning of birth pains. These are, this is a process that's coming upon the planet, he says. And then he says in verse, uh, what is it? Uh, gosh, da, 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 24, 14-ish, something like that, I think. Then he says, yeah, then Jesus says, after he lists all the troubles, he says, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached as a witness to all the world, and then the end shall come, or the end of this age will occur. So how, do, how and where is that gospel being preached from? Come on. The stage of all the troubles Jesus just finished talking about. You see, the troubles are not the thing that tells us to go hide in a cave somewhere and store up enough food to get you and your two family members through. That is not, that's not what Jesus is preaching here. He's saying, on these troubles and all of these things, persecution, think about it. Everywhere there's wor the world is shaking and having problems is the exact opportunity. It is the platform to preach the gospel from. So if there's war, it's the perfect place to preach the gospel of peace. If there's cold-heartedness between brethren, it's the perfect place to preach forgiveness and reconciliation. You see, the gospel is best heard in times of crisis and trouble. That's a fact. And so here we are living in a time where turmoil and noise and destruction are brewing. And as believers, because the next, the next line there is, 
Another voice, a response, a noise coming from the temple. Oh God, help us find our voice. Help us find our voice. Help us not to ignore our role in this very important time in history. A voice from the temple, one translation says with the next thing, that is the voice of the Lord. It is the voice of the Lord. This voice coming from the temple is in fact the voice of the Lord that renders recompense to his enemies. Recompense to his enemies. Now, this is to me a very important idea. We think of this recompense. Yeah, get them, God. Get them. Get all our enemies. This word recompense is a very interesting word. To render recompense. Actually, the word render and then the word recompense. But the word render is a very fascinating word in the Hebrew language. God's going to render a recompense. The word render is actually, it has a kind connotation to it. A kind connotation to it. Not an angry, a kind. Check this out. Let me just give you some of the, this is the word render here in the Hebrew language. Shalom. And it means to be safe. To make complete. By implication, to be friendly. By extension, uh, to make amends. To finish, to make good, to pay, to be at peace, to prosper. Now think about this for a second. Because if you, if you read it at first glance, the scripture we just read in Isaiah, a voice from the city, it's all in trouble. And then there's a voice from the temple, from God's people. It's the voice of the Lord rendering recompense to his enemies. And the, the tendency would be to think, yeah, God, you're going to get out there and clean up all those evil, wicked people that are doing all the bad stuff in the world, and you're going to just straighten it all out. And that's the church's mission. We're supposed to be a part of God just straightening all the wicked people out. Well, it is true. We are called to be those who help redeem the lost and the wicked and all that are out there. But how we do it, hear this today, the spirit in which we do this is critical in the hour in which we're living. Critical. We are told multiple times in the scripture that the way we will overcome evil is with good. Let me just read to you a few verses. Romans 12 and 17, beginning there. Paul speaking, he says, Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do that which is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing... You will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This idea of, of heaping burning coals on someone's head is not a literal event. It's not like going and getting a bunch of hot burning coals. And by doing this, here's what you're doing. You're putting it. No, no. It's talking really probably most likely about the conscience of a person. 
they will feel so terrible because you just did them right when they did you so wrong. And it will just eat them up to the point that it will help convert them to what is good. So don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. So there's a term out there. You hear it a lot nowadays if you watch any of the news. Uh, it's debated, really. It's a, it's a philo philosophical debate that's going on called American exceptionalism. You've heard this term. American exceptionalism. And the idea behind American exceptionalism is this. There's one school of thought that says that America is like no other country in the world, that it is that we stand out among all the nations of the world. We're, we're, we're exceptional. We're, we're exceptional in the sense that we have a, 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 a democracy that is like no other, and it makes us a step above. Okay? And uh, the model that we have is the best one out there, and so on. It's America, American exceptionalism. Okay? And then there's another group that so opposes that because to them, they see that as a very arrogant posture that we Americans would think we're better than everybody else and we strut around the world, you know, and we see this when we've traveled abroad. There are some people are happy to see you and some people don't want to see you. And more and more, there's been some of that in the air uh, over years of recent. You can go out there and there's kind of this, you have to discern where you are and what culture the people are and how they see America. And I have to say, over the years, America has lost some of its credibility among the nations, in my opinion. That's my opinion. But we've just lost some of our testimony. Our original testimony has been marred by some things. And so, <clears throat> that said, American exceptionalism. I have to tell you, as I ponder this, I believe there's a truth to American exceptionalism. But I believe that what makes this nation exceptional is Christ and the gospel it carries. Not the other things that we point to. Christ and the gospel is what does set us apart in a very unique way. doesn't make us better. It means we have an answer that's essential and that we're unashamed of. Historically, our nation was a Judeo-Christian foundation. So, when I talk about Paul saying, Galatians, I'm travailing in birth until you be birthed again, until Christ be formed in you. You once had Him, something happened, but I'm aching for you that you get Christ back in you the way you're supposed to have Christ back in you. And when I'm talking about travailing in birth again, I'm talking about being a participant. Can a nation be born in a day? Yes. But there's going to be some pain. Choose your pain. Somebody's going to have to push. If we ignore this calling... Don't think pain is going away. Our streets will be filled, I'm speaking, I believe, by the Spirit of God, with other types of pains. Choose your pain. There is a calling to travail in birth again for this nation. And it's a spiritual awakening God has impregnated the church with. And now it's on us to give ourselves to this assignment before the Lord. So American exceptionalism from a Christian view looks something like this. Here's Jesus, Matthew 5, beginning in verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. 
But if anyone slaps you on the, one, the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, anybody got a tunic? Not anymore, you got rid of it? Good, it went to goodwill, huh? Okay. Well, in the event you have a tunic, and somebody takes your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. American exceptionalism. You know, for America to be great again, it's got to look like Jesus. Now, it's an interesting topic because we live in a very troubled world full of very difficult situations where innocent people are being killed and slaughtered and murdered. And historically, America has been a defender of the poor. And I personally believe it still should be that kind of a state, that kind of a place. But to understand the power God is wanting to restore to this nation, we the church have a responsibility to pray and birth that the influence that we have is used for Christ's sake and not for the sake of our own indulgences. I'm preaching better than you're saying amen. For Christ's sake. Let me give you an interesting passage of Scripture Old Testament, actually, that gives us a picture of this very model. A strong nation, and I believe, I, gotta, you know, I, I say it's not political. I hope I'm not feeling political because I'm just up here, man. Amen. It's good. it's good, good. I believe in a strong country. I believe in a strong military. I believe that we should be a, a great people on the earth, but we have a reason for the greatness. A reason for the greatness. And if we lose sight of that, and this is the church's responsibility. Don't look at the politicians to carry this one out. We, the church, must birth this culture. We must birth this culture. A voice in the city, that's the turmoil and the trouble, and a voice from the temple, that's the house of God, and that's what God's wanting to hear from us in the land. That's to be the voice of the Lord. And that's the thing that's going to recompense to our enemies. And how, you know, we're going to destroy some enemies, but you know how? Through our good, we are going to overturn a spiritually dark world. Here's an interesting account. Ruling from the heavens is a good way of saying it. 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm going to just pick up in verse 16. Now, I, you know, why are we on this message today? Because I believe that we have an assignment. And this assignment, God's wanting to bring some clarity to us. You know, it's always nice when you get a new job to have a position description. Wouldn't you agree? It's nice to know what's expected of you. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to help us understand our role 
in this generation and in this hour that's very, very important hour. 2 Kings 6.16, it's the account where Israel has been surrounded by their enemies. You know, you know the story, most of you do. And, and, and Elisha is there and his servant, and his servant starts freaking out. He's like, oh my gosh, they got a lot more than we have. We're done. We're going to get stomped on here. And so um, <clears throat> here it is, verse 16, and he answered, fear not. This is Elisha speaking. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes in the, of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. So the reality was they were in a much better position than they thought. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, now check this out. Here's a guy, here's Elisha the prophet, who's walking in an open heavens. He knows who he is. He knows that he's in God's army. He's got a huge host accompanying him. Nothing's terrifying him or anything. And so, but there's a very real enemy. There's a very real enemy, physical enemy, trying to destroy, probably like ISIS would be to us, okay? There, trying to destroy who we were. And look what he does. So here he comes, Elisha comes down, and when he had come down, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, smite this people, I pray you, with blindness. That doesn't sound very Christ-like, but that's what he did. Smite them with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said unto them, this is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them into Samaria. So here, so Elisha, He's got the whole invading army blind. And he says, where are you all trying to go? He says, oh, you're, you're, you're heading the wrong way. Here, follow me. And he takes a whole blind army into the very city of Israel. It's a Samaria, right? The capital there. Gets him into Samaria. And now he's got the entire blind army, thinking they're on assignment, even though they're blind, in the enemy's, their enemy's city. And they're there at the mercy of their enemy. And it came to pass, verse 20, when they were come into Samaria, that Elisha said, Lord, now open their eyes that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and they went, oh no. That's my translation. Now he opened their eyes and they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And the king of Israel said unto Elisha when he saw them, my father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? He had to say it twice. And he answered, You shall not smite them. Would you smite those whom you have taken captive with the, thy sword and with your bow? Set bread and water in front of them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And he prepared great provisions for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. Now check this out. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. You see, what happened here was the nations of the earth saw the power of God resting on a people. And though they could have destroyed them, once the power had been seen, then they extended to them the gospel. You who don't deserve it are forgiven. You see, there is power in the gospel. 
power. And I tell you, these two ideas, I'm convinced, are colliding right now. Right now, one is very clear. We have a new president that's very determined to make our country great again. And by his definition of great, great military, great economy, all of these things. But I'm telling you, if that's all we have, and we don't have the Christ formed in us as a country peace, we are going to mess up big in the world. That is the word of the Lord. We're going to mess up big. And do you know whose responsibility it is to birth Christ again in this nation? Come on. A voice of turmoil in the city. A voice in the temple. The voice of God. Rendering a recompense to his enemies. And remember the word render, it means to be friendly, to overcome evil with good, to expel the, the hateful spirit with a merciful spirit displayed on the backside of strength. Now come on, I'm talking about a strong nation that has the ability to forgive. A strong nation that has the ability to heal when it could snuff out. That's the nation I'm talking about. And I believe it's the one God's after in our generation. To be born again. I think this theme is going to be heard in the future repeatedly. A nation being born again. We are in the beginning of birth pains again. Our economy and military and all that's going to create pain and stress for a lot of people as far as the, our own society and its view of this thing. A lot of turmoil in the street. It's just beginning. I believe there's just a lot of stuff there. If the church, come on, we can be spared in childbearing. This nation can be born miraculously like Isaiah 66 if you and I will engage in our part to intercede and to pray, and to stay vigilant in this arena of travail. One last idea here today on what travailing is really about. This is now the prophet Elijah, not Elisha. He's just had an ama amazing public meeting where he called fire down from heaven. Prophets of Baal, they're being judged. <clears throat> and God is cleaning up the land from all kinds of wickedness that was in the land. And they've been under drought. Three and a half years of drought. There's been, the land has been under curse because of all of the idolatry and the witchcrafts of Jezebel and the Baal worship that's been going on. And so they've had this great public revival. There's all these judgments and setting some things in order. I believe that's very much a part of where we're living right now. And then Elijah says <clears throat> to his uh, servant, his helper, I'm going to start reading actually in verse... Um, 41, he's actually speaking to Ahab in this verse, but it says this, Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to Mount Carmel. Now here it is, and he bowed himself down on the earth, and he put his face between his knees. Now, 
That's the birthing position. Down, face between the knees. And he prays. First he says to his servant, I'm in 1 Kings 18. I just read verse 42. Yeah, 1 Kings 18. Verse 43 says, And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And at the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And, the, and in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. So rain was a sign of God's blessing and God's favor, even as it was said during the inauguration. Here is a symbol of that, that there was a sign of favor and of God's blessing. But notice the position Elijah is in. It's a simple thing, I realize, but here it is anyways. Elijah says, okay, we're living in a pretty barren, parched place. And he says to his servant, go out there and see if there's any hope for the future. See if there's any rain clouds in the sky. And he says, no. But he says, he gets down puts his head between his knees. I'm telling you, this is a, a position of birth and it's a position of prayer and intercession. And the prophet was, was holding on to and believing God for a birthing again, not only of a fixing of the problem, but that the heavens would pour down their blessing on the land. You know, there's some things we can do and there's a lot of things that only God can do I'm talking about those reviving spirits and those things that come and that must be contended for spiritually. We have to pray is a simple point. We have to be a people of prayer. So, I've done my job. Yeah, I've done my job here today. But my job is far from over. As is yours. What, is it related to this, Mike? Yeah. Well, we got... Hold on, no. Well, you don't, but the people watching on the TV do. I'm not sure if everybody's aware because I'm sure mainstream media didn't cover it, but when Mike Pence swore his oath of vice president, he swore it on Chronicles 2, 7, and 14. Right. If my people will humble themselves. And pray. Yeah. Amen. Amen, amen. Praise God. So Pastor Christy and I are going to be heading in the month of February to an event in Colorado Springs with Lou Engel and uh, many others who've been um, fasting and praying for this nation for many years. And the reason for this gathering is because of strategies that God is giving for His church in prayer. And if there's one thing, one thing, I can ask of you, believers, to consider is being available to the Lord in this arena of prayer. Choose your pain. Prayer and pain? Yeah, I mean, there's a time where, where, where you know, it, it, it's not convenient to pray. Boy, it's a lot worse to not pray. Oh, I don't think I'm going to do that today. Well, great. Catch up with you next week when all hell breaks loose. We'll pray then. You want to pray then? You want to pray now? Which prayer you want to pray? You know, God, God's looking for an army. Come on. That's awake. If the nation's going to awake, I think it's got to start with the church. Church has got to awake. 
Church has got to start giving herself. And listen, we need help. You remember the message of, of, of Jehu reaching out his hand saying, if you're with me, then here's my hand. And the symbol there was, I know you can't get here on your own. So I'm giving you my hand. Now your part is put your hand in the hand of the man. Come on. We stilled the waters. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, come on, brother. Um, I keep a journal, and I've been doing it for about two weeks. And during praise and worship this morning, I heard Papa say he's changing hearts. He's stirring a fire in us, and he's stirring us up. Amen. Praise the Lord. I believe it. Well, why don't you stand up on your feet, and we're going to pray together this morning. Yeah. We are, by the way, uh, still continuing our morning prayer sessions through this week. So if you're at all available, they've been precious times in the Lord from 6 to 7 a.m. We meet right here. I know it's early, but, uh, you know, strike while the iron's hot. That's, that's what I think the wisdom of God would say. And uh, I believe together we're keeping our brooms together. We're pushing together and God's doing some wonderful things, but it's not over yet. Father, thank you for this beautiful congregation and for their attentive heart today. God, I thank you for letting your words find their place in each one of us, Lord, that we would have a vision, the same vision you have for this land. Lord, I know we're just one, one place on the planet, Lord, but I know we have a unique, even an exceptional calling as believers, Lord, as an unashamed Christian nation, Lord, who you've raised up, you've granted influence among the nations, but you've done it for a reason. And Lord, I thank you for a fresh fire in the church, Lord, that the power we have and the, and the influence we have, Lord, that it would smell like Jesus, that it would be used like Jesus, that the world would see Jesus through us once again. I thank you, Lord, for a rebirth occurring a spiritual rebirth, a spiritual awakening, a spiritual renewal for our land. Lord, I thank you for it today. And Lord, I pray and I ask just a special grace, a special grace would rest upon us like Elisha's servant. Our eyes would be open to see that we would never be in fear no matter what the turmoil in the street sounds like, there would be a clear voice coming from the church to the world of who Jesus is. Lord, we do, even today, we pray for great wisdom and great grace for this new administration. We acknowledge they are but men. They are but women. They are but clay, Lord. Without your help, they're nothing and they'll make terrible mistakes, Lord. And that's why we cry out to you today. Have mercy on these United States of America and have mercy on the nations of the earth. Thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' beautiful name, amen and amen. Can you? <laughs>